happy Monday. Happy Memorial Day. Happy late podcast day. I'm a little late today. Uh, hopefully everyone's having a great long weekend, spending it with family and friends, not working, doing great stuff. Um, today's episode of the 1099 is episode 150, which is weird to say out loud, with Trisha Hirschberger. It is, I know I say, this is one of my favorite episodes all the time, but this is one of my favorite episodes. Trisha's incredible, and we had a really fun conversation about her career, about YouTube, about streaming, about your hashtag brand it, it it goes places i just want to do a quick intro because i haven't done one in a long time of course first to thank everyone for sticking around and supporting me to 150 of these episodes and probably close to 130 140 different unique guests it's it's been an incredible ride that uh has been very different to record these episodes lately because I am now in LA, as a lot of people know. My schedule is entirely different. I cannot really record on weekday nights because of my work schedule and being in a different time zone. But um, I actually just got off of a three podcast marathon this weekend, um, did two the weekend before. So never fear, the 1099 continues. Today, which just came out, I guested on DLC with uh, Jeff Kanata and Christian Spicer which was a really fun podcast, around two hours long. That was last night, so you should check that out. I should have shared it on my Twitter feed. Um, there are so many cool guests coming up. We have uh, Ray Davis, who is a, a major part of Gears of War 1 and 2. There's Mike Futter, who uh, a news editor at Game Informer, as well as an, an author who has worked with Bithel Games. Um, there's just so many podcasts I have recorded that I'm starting to even forget <laughs> what they are at this point I, I my head is so far gone for everyone who has been following me again up to this point thanks so much uh, I would really appreciate it at the time if you could go to iTunes leave a review leave a comment say why you like the 1099 as always if there's any guests that you want to hear in the future hit me up on Twitter at Josiah Renaud and uh, go to the, the 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 subreddit the 1099 podcast um, there should be a thread there all about guests but yeah I just wanted to quickly update everyone on life it's it's been crazy making games is super cool um i can't talk too much about it i'm still considering maybe doing a podcast down the line and saying what i can say uh but it's been it's been really rewarding it's it's been a, taken a while to get into a routine to kind of get back into a normal you know here's Here's when I wake up, I'm making coffee, I'm, I'm working out, I'm taking my dog out, I'm driving to work, I'm figuring out everything I need to do, all these things I don't know. Um, it's, it's, been, it's been fun. It's, I'm constantly tired. As soon as I'm done with this, I'm probably going to take a nap. So thanks everyone for listening, and hopefully you enjoy this episode with the great Trisha Hirschberger.
hello and welcome to episode 150 of the 1099 for the week of May 28th, 2018. I'm your host, Josiah Renaudin, and with me today is a host, producer, and writer seen on IGN, Nerdist, The Philip DeFranco Show, Rhett and Link, as well as a streamy award winner for SourceFed, Trisha Hirschberger. Trisha, how are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. You're one of those people it's so easy to do an intro for because your LinkedIn page is ridiculous, where it's just like <laughs> thing after thing after thing, and you're like... How do I stack this without either embarrassing you or just spending the first two minutes of this episode talking about what you've done? Yes. So you're saying I updated my LinkedIn profile appropriately. It super helps me. Like it makes my job way easier because actually one of my favorite things to do with these podcasts is to kind of go down memory lane on LinkedIn because no matter how much you think you know someone, there's always just gems in there I often had no idea about. And one of those gems, uh, you were in the Sam Christensen program from 2006 to 2011 after yes. you got your theater degree. Yes. So are you familiar with the Sam Christensen program? Uh, ish. And that is mostly from Googling. So I have a, a theater background, not as heavily as yours, but I have an appreciation for it. So when I saw that and I saw, I started to read up on the site and what it's about, that fascinated me. So what got you there and how intensive was that program? It's crazy. So I studied theater um, at DeSales University in Pennsylvania, which is the college that uh, runs in conjunction with the Pennsylvania Shakespeare Festival. So it's a big classical theater training school. And my professors, when I was in school there, said, if you ever get the chance to study with Sam Christensen, he's based out of L.A., uh, but sometimes he does workshops in New York, you should do it. Um, and so that was, I mean, that's in Center Valley, Pennsylvania. That's in the middle of nowhere. They said, you know, if what you ever get the chance What part of Pennsylvania was that? I'm sorry. Center Valley. It's near okay. Allentown. Allentown. That's, I grew up in like the Erie area in Pennsylvania. So nice. semi know what, yeah, I know like random different parts. I grew up in Townville. So I get the middle of nowhere reference. Townville, for sure. Real shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they were like, hey, if you ever get the chance to study with this guy, you should. And all I knew about it going in was like, this is a workshop that helps you learn about yourself and branding and imaging for yourself as an actor and kind of, you know, the big thing when you're studying theater is everyone, everyone is a person and every school program is so focused on the art and not as focused on the business aspect of it, which is what you need to do to get to the place where you can even make the art. Um, so this, this workshop is a great way to kind of get your foot in the door to the business side of things is what I was told. So when I came out here, uh, that was one of the first things I did was sign up for his workshop. Yeah, the business side of things is something that a lot of people ignore. You like the I, I like the art, I like the what I create, not how to sell what I create or how to position what I create. And like you mentioned, like defining your image is a major aspect of what you were doing. And it's crazy how that's somehow become even more important with Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and all of the different things you need to kind of have an image in mind. So how much of what you learned back then, so from 2006 to 2011, about branding is still applicable today now that things have shifted so much? A lot of it's still applicable. I mean, the Sam Christensen workshop really focuses on you. Um, so it doesn't focus on, you know, using today's social media tools. This is how you brand yourself. Unfortunately, that would have been great too, but that's not what this focuses on. Um, so this focuses on the more timeless aspect of it, of um, not only how do you perceive yourself, but how do other people perceive you? And how can you use the combination of those two things to create a very distinct footprint? So as an actor, when you walk into an audition room, why is your read of these three lines different than everybody else's who came in today? Like, what do you naturally bring to the table? Again, in how you portray yourself and how other people perceive you, 
that will make your read different. Um, and it applies to more than just actors. So people who are writing or directing, you know, what is the stamp that you put on your work just naturally because of inherently who you are that makes your work distinct and different. Um, so that's what the process is. And the process helps you define that. Now, for you to take that and apply it to Twitter, Instagram, your one-on-one -on -one interview skills, your directing, your writing, your acting, that is up to you. Uh, and Sam, the Sam Christensen studio offers classes specifically for acting. I think it's called Acting from Image is the class that I took there for a while. That's specifically for actors to apply those tools. But the workshop in and of itself is just to get that idea of who you are and ways to express that. What were you doing during this program to understand how people view you? Because I, I agree that's super important in acting and just life in general is understand how am I coming off to people? What are they seeing that I'm not realizing? Were you doing certain exercises where people just staring at you and being like, this is how you come off and then just like telling you that? How is that going? I mean, kind of. There were a lot of different <laughs> exercises where people would just write down the first five sentences that came to mind when they were looking at you sitting on a chair, just sitting there on stage. Uh, and then, How like, honest were they? Pretty honest. And then there was worksheets that are just like a page of 150 adjectives. And you would maybe do a monologue. Like they would do different things. Either you're sitting there, you're doing a monologue, you're walking back and forth, whatever. It's different things each time. But then they would just check off every adjective that they thought applied to you whilst you were doing said thing. And you would get all these worksheets from everybody else in the class and figure out which of the adjectives or which things in the sentences were the recurring things. And that's kind of how you found what other people thought of you. And yeah, I mean, there were definitely moments where you're like, wow, this is really honest and not something I thought. But ultimately, that's kind of what you're paying for in the class is to get that real feedback. You're not, I don't know. I don't know about you. Tell me how you feel about this. Uh, but in your career, whenever you take a class that someone's just kind of like, you did great and pats you on the back, don't you feel like you're not getting your money's worth like I don't need to pay someone to make me feel good you know yeah just paying people money to have like this cheer squad is not the ideal way to do it but there's also this period where you have to grow that thick skin in that different area because I think people will say no I have a thick skin that stuff doesn't affect me but there are different types of thick skins where when I was writing at GameSpot and IGN, I learned how to accept the fact that people are just going to hate the reviews I write sometimes and just send terrible things and they affect you at the start. Later on, they become more normal, which maybe is a good thing or a bad thing. And then after a while, it doesn't bother you. And there's a different thick skin on if you're on a stream and you're showing your face and your personality. If people are judging your personality instead of your writing, that takes a while to get used to. I would assume for you, it must have taken a while just to be able to look at this sheet of adjectives based on how you're acting or how you're just doing something and understand like, okay, maybe I do come off this way. Or maybe, did you have any moments where you were looking at it? Like, I'm not like that at all. That adjective is not defining me. Oh, totally. Um, uh, well, let me see. I actually have my book here. I got it out. Oh my God. We're going to talk about this today. Um, so this is from years and years and years ago of uh, worksheets that other people filled out and like things that I was like, here's my recurring words. And you know, these are the words I expected. These are the words that surprised me. Um, like, for example, one that really surprised me was uh, the word flirtatious came up a lot huh. <laughs> um, as my number four most common word. But the word wholesome was my number two most common word. <laughs> so how can both those things be perceived at the same time? Like, I was like, I would what? put that in your Twitter bio now, just flirtatious and wholesome. Right. <laughs> kind of. Well, and what I realized through the process is for me. There's a lot of contradictions in 
uh, how I think that I'm perceived and how other people perceive me. Um, wholesome and naughty both came up a lot, which I was like, how does that even work? Why? Um, were you just sitting down during this or were I you doing a... I don't... They were all... These are like all different exercises, but everything pulled together. Um, people that said um, uh, ditzy and intellectual both came up a lot. Huh. Yeah, it was a lot of these that I was like, wow, I am a walking contradiction. Yeah, you're just a walking oxymoron. Um, uh, genuine and fake both came up a lot. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> very, very bizarre. Super strange. And I'm guessing after a while, you kind of nail down who you are through this program, even as difficult. But how tough can it be to define a personal brand that actually feels like you, Trisha Hirschberger, and not an exaggerated version of yourself in today's environment on Twitch again, on YouTube and in these shows, because there's so many different hosts and creative people in tech and games that there has to be some sort of push and pull between yourself and who you think people want you to be or who you think the YouTube audience is looking for. You think about, and I mean, PewDiePie is an easy example, but it's just <laughs> almost this pro wrestler version of himself where yeah. he has to turn everything to 11 because that's what the internet wants. And if he was just his regular self on a Tuesday, people might still watch, but they're not, you know, 70 million people aren't subscribing. So have you ever struggled with that of figuring out, is this, should I just be myself or do I need to add something? Yeah, I really struggled with that in the beginning. So when I first, and when I say in the beginning, I mean when I first started SourceFed. So that was kind of when I tripped and fell into the YouTube world as opposed to traditional acting. Um, I was pursuing theater and television and commercial and film before that um, and then tripped and fell into YouTube <laughs> with SourceFed. And, you know, in the traditional acting world and especially the auditioning world, you're so used to you know, what is the director looking for? What is the casting director looking for? What do I need to be? Let me guess what they want and do that. So when I started on SourceFed, I was doing a lot of the same thing. And I was really heavily reading the comments as awful as they were. Um, you were brave. And, yeah. And well, just really trying to be what I thought everyone wanted me to be. And that was a huge struggle for me in the very beginning. And I would say probably after a few weeks, I got to like, uh, I'm sorry, can I curse on this? Oh, totally. Oh, okay. 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 I got to a point where I was like, you know what? Just fuck it. Just fuck it. I don't even care. I don't care what everyone wants me to be. I'm trying as hard as I can. And I'm obviously failing because people are saying all these horrible things about me. Just fuck it. I'm going to be me. I don't care. Um, and once I started just finally being myself after a few weeks, all of a sudden everyone was like, wow, Trisha really feels like she's <laughs> coming into her own now. <laughs> and like, the comments got way better and I was having more fun. And so from that point on, I kind of fell in love with digital content, whether it be YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, um, where I could really just be me. So I kind of left the traditional acting world behind because as fun as it was to be someone else, when your livelihood and whether you're getting a paycheck based on is based on how well you can guess the somebody else that someone wants you to be that's terribly out of your control and it's terribly disheartening when you're constantly feeling like I'm not good enough as opposed to being in the world of digital content creation where everyone's like no just be you just yeah. you know what just be you and if people relate to that then they will want to watch that it's it's very freeing um, and especially when I was doing the audition scene, kind of like the adorkable, if you will, thing <laughs> wasn't a thing. New girl yeah. wasn't out yet. Uh, like the quirky, cute girl was not a thing. Um, so people were very like, oh, I don't know what to do with you. Like, you know, uh, you know, you're chesty. So I kind of want to make you funny, slutty friend. But then you're really cute. But like, 
I can't put you on Disney because you're too chesty. Like, it was this very bizarre, like, people couldn't type me or they really wanted me to do uh, celebrity gossip. But I don't know a thing about celebrity gossip. It's yeah. not a world that I'm in. Um, I would have gotten a lot more jobs if I did. But, yeah, I didn't know celebrity gossip and makeup. And when they said, well, what kind of things are you into? And they said, uh, there's this fantasy writer I really like, George R. R. Martin. They were like, uh, okay, okay, weirdo. Um <laughs> And so I just, I was not getting opportunities. But then again, when I tripped and fell into YouTube and they were like, no, well, why don't you just write for yourself and write these things that you like, whether it be video games or taking apart phones or sci-fi and fantasy, like you just write that. And like, there will be an audience out there for it. Again, it was so freeing and so awesome. Um, how did you stumble into games writing? Oh man, flipped around right to the interviewer. Um, I, it was something that... <laughs> I knew pretty early on in like high school or college area that I wanted to write in some capacity. And I remember I was job shadowing with different newspapers. And every time I went to three different places and everyone there who was working would pull me aside and be like, do not fucking get into this, dude. Like you are, this is a sinking ship. Do not get into journalism in this way. Everything is going online. It's going to be different. <laughs> Don't waste your time. And kind of had like that, that light bulb moment of wait, I like video games a lot. I know a lot about them. I like to write. What if these points can intersect and lead to something? Yes. Uh, and when I was like 17, there's a post on some forum somewhere on the internet that someone dug up. There's this really poorly worded forum post from me being like, I want to get paid to write about video games. How the hell do I do that? Um, and from there, I got a small like site reached out to me and just started building it from there. And I remember being, I'll always remember being uh 20 years old in college and getting my first IGN pitch accepted and just like freaking out. I'm sure my dorm room. So yeah, it, it was one of those things that I'd worked toward for a long time. And now it's weird because you just mentioned before that you had left the acting, acting world behind. And I'm assuming even though you said that slightly flippantly, like that had to be really difficult for you because you were building up to that for so long. And for me, I always had one thing in my head, which was I'm going to work at GameSpot full time or I'm going to work at IGN or Game Informer. And that was the goal. And when that didn't happen for me, uh, I was doing freelance there, but like the full time job never happened. And now I'm doing I'm week two of doing game development. I'm super happy right now, but also mm -hmm. it was difficult to give up a quote unquote dream that you had been working for so long, even if you understood like, the industry has changed and my goals have changed, but you can get stubborn with that. So did you ever get stubborn even when you knew YouTube made more sense for you? You weren't going to be typecasted. You can talk what you want. Was this still this lingering, I didn't do the thing I set out to do moment for you? No. Um, and that's because a lot of what I do now is very closely tied to performance. Mm. Um, so I still do feel like I get the opportunity to perform. It's just in a different way. You know, maybe it's in less of a theatrical, I'm taking on a character and more of a public speaking type of performance, if you will. Um, I'm yeah. still creating entertainment content for people. So it still fills that same need that got me into traditional acting in the first place. I'm just doing it in, in a different way. And I do, funny enough, still get the chance every now and then to be in a sketch or collaborate with another YouTuber or something like that. So I, I get fed that a little bit. But uh, yeah, so I didn't really have that grand departure. I think if I moved to strictly editorial writing, yeah. Or if I move to a development position off camera, which I was recently in talks with some folks at one of the bigger uh, video game outlets about doing a full-time development position. 
but I wouldn't have been on camera. And to me, that's where it felt like, oh, but then I'm giving up this thing I worked at for so long. No, I could totally see that being difficult because it's like YouTube is this, sure, it has a whole bunch of problems, but like it, it does allow you to do a little bit of everything that you want. If you have your own, let's say, Patreon, like I, I know Danny O'Dwyer, who does uh, no clip and does like video game documentaries. Yeah. He can he can host, he can write, he can edit, he can do all these things. And now we're in this cool era where that could be profitable for you. And like you mentioned before, you're being instead of being typecasted or having to kind of fit into these very specific roles on TV or in commercials, you can kind of do the thing that you like as long as there's an audience for you out there. So what at what point? When you were starting YouTube, did you feel like you could actually make a living from this? Because still, there's a lot of people who they go into that water and they have no idea how it's actually going to go. Same thing with Patreon. When you're starting a crowdfunding campaign, you're like, I just, I'm, I'm guessing from based off my social media and everything, there's an audience for it, but I just don't know until I try. So at what point were you like, I think this can be my thing? I kind of fell right into it backwards. And I'll explain what I mean by that. So instead of starting my own channel or starting my own Patreon and working from the ground up and saying like, oh, I'm probably never going to make money at this, but maybe someday, I went to an audition for a job posting that said online news host off lacasting.com. And it was like an audition on a Saturday morning at like a rented out place, you know, and it was super low pay. So I was just like, whatever, I'm not doing anything else this Saturday morning. Um, and I went in and I auditioned for it. And I could tell that they liked me based on my read and my interview afterwards, because they started asking me weird stuff in the interview. Like it was online news hosts, like world news. And then they were like, so what video games do you play? <laughs> I'm like, what? Um, so anyway, that audition ended up being for SourceFed, which in its time was probably only a, a few weeks old so it's not even like I could look it up and really see what it was um and I didn't know this at the time but they had a six-month plan from that to create a nerd channel which is why they were asking me questions about tech and video games and that kind of stuff and uh they had me come in part-time at first so I was going into it actually making a day rate as a writer and host so I didn't have that. I'm just creating content for free and I hope it sticks kind of thing. Um, now, granted, it was not a great day rate. I It was probably similar to what I would have made waiting tables um, for that day. But I, it really was a great training ground to teach me how to internet, if you will. <laughs> um, and so I would go in maybe one day every uh, every other week or something like that. I started out part-time. And then as they were ramping up and getting ready to launch the Nerd Channel, they brought me on full-time. And so right away, that was a job that could replace. I, for a while, I worked that and another day job to make ends meet. Um, but right away, that was a job that, you know, could pay the bills sufficiently enough that, you know, maybe I couldn't afford health care, but I could afford ramen. So <laughs> it was oh, enough to get by on in the beginning. Uh, so that was great. And for me, who at the time had been waiting tables or uh, working a tech job with Samsung IT for years to as my pay them bills job and then auditioning kind of as my hobby, auditioning and doing theater, it was nice to have something that was a little bit more of a, uh, of a paycheck, but that was still performance related. And I was learning all these new skills. So yeah. And then after doing that for gosh, probably two years or a year and a half, I thought, Hey, I'm doing all the work to make these videos. I could do this for myself, like yeah. on my own channel. Um, and so that's when I started my own channel and doing my own stuff. But 
yeah, because in the beginning for me, it was a job that paid. It was weird. I never had that like, oh man, this is the moment where I realize I can live off this because it was presented that way to me in the beginning. Yeah. Is that when, when you started your own channel, is that when you also started your own production company or did that come later? My own production company actually came after I left SourceFed. Okay. So after I left SourceFed, I started working with The Escapist. And The Escapist brought me on as not just a writer-host contract, but a development contract. So they were like, hey, we need a bunch of new shows. We want to do all these new things, but we don't have anyone to actually create the pilots and make it happen. So they brought me on a one-year contract to do that. Now at that point, because of the way that a Defy and Escapist and everybody was set up, they would just give me, like, I, they would approve a budget to make a show and then just give me a lump sum of money in a budget. And then I was in charge of hiring my crew, my post-production, my talent, and then paying all those people and getting liability insurance and location fees and all of that cannot be paid from a personal checking account. <laughs> so that's when I had to start a production company when I was actually producing things for other clients. But doing that was a great learning ground because then that enabled me to really up my game when it came to branded content. So, you know, say Marvel reaches out and says, hey, Trisha, we want to partner with you to make this series of videos around this and we can supply you with this budget to make it. I could then accurately say, okay, here's what I can produce for that budget, pitch yeah. them ideas, have them okay something. And now that's really how I run my business and my company is that my production company is the hub and people can either pay my production company for me just as talent, for me as writer talent, for me as development, you know, whatever the case may be, or for me to fully produce something start to finish for them. Um, and so it's, it's been really interesting. Man, that sounds rad. But yeah. I would assume when you're starting a production company, there's so many little things that you could never know until you actually started your own company, whether that be taxes or maybe like, oh, here's how I need to get my own name or here's how I need to register in this. Are the Were there a whole bunch of little things along the way where you're like, holy shit, I never expected starting this would be so difficult? Oh, my God. So many. So many. It's a bottomless pit of those things. <laughs> uh, and it's funny because now I have friends who some of them are like, yeah, I'm thinking about you know, going incorporated and starting my own company. And they're like, I have some questions for you. And I was like, dude, anytime. Like if I can be there to help you along the way, because I really relied on a producer friend of mine who was producing a show I was hosting for PlayStation at the time. Uh, his name's Matt. He's lovely. Um, and I kept saying to Matt, like, hey, Matt, I'm going through this. I'm trying to figure this out. Like, what do you do for end of the year taxes? Do you have an accountant you like? Like, what do you do for bookkeeping? What do you do for liability insurance? What do you do? Oh, like, God. Is my, it quarterly? Like, do you do it every year? I like, like, I just ugh. don't, I don't even know. Like, I, I feel like I was an expert at filing as an independent contractor. I did my estimated quarterly. I knew exactly what deductions I could take. Like, oh I had God. it figured out. Everything was in Google Drive, spreadsheets. Like, I had figured it out. Um, and then I, be, then I became a company and everything went to crap. Like I had to start all over. Um, and I have to say now I've had my own company for a little over three years and I still am trying to figure it out. And you get conflicting advice from different accountants that think different things. And it's, it's a whole new world of challenges. But ultimately, I am the happiest now working for myself than I ever was working full time for another company. That's awesome. Yeah. I bet you would never want to go through all that again. This type of thing where you're like, I'm happy that's behind me because 
all the shit that goes into that, like on a much smaller scale, because I just moved across the country. Like it's one of those things where you're like, I'm going to do this really cool thing and invest in my future. And then you're halfway through the move and you're like, I hate everything. Why did I do this? <laughs> I, why, I didn't know I owned all this random stuff. Why are there so many boxes here? Like there's so many things like that, that I would assume after you set it up, you're like, I'm happy I did that, but God damn it, never again. Yeah, I mean, kind of. I don't know. I I just find that I'm a workaholic and I really (laughs) like the idea of the more hours I put in, the more I get back, whether it's monetarily or growth or connections or whatever. And I feel like, especially in the world of entertainment, so much feels out of your control all the time where you can constantly be putting in time and get no return on it. Um, And I have found that since I now work for myself, that's not the case. But I mean, even when you're working full-time, so say, you know, you're working full-time as a writer for GameSpot or IGN or whatnot, there are definitely times where you probably felt like you were putting in more than you were getting back. Whereas when you're freelance... And you completely have the opportunity to take a million gigs this week or not take a million gigs this week. It's a lot more in your control. Uh, Let me flip that, though. So because you are working for yourself and everything you're doing right now is building up on this company that you created, can you kind of put even more work than maybe your schedule allows you to? Because you just know, like, if if I keep working harder, if I keep putting in these hours it's only going to be better for me. And I've talked to Greg Miller on this podcast who does Kind of Funny. And he said early on, he really struggled with that workload because you're building a business, you're supporting other people, and you know that like this will go as far as I take it. So you might put an 80-hour week because it's just going to keep helping you. Did you ever have the moment where you had to stop yourself and maybe put limits on how much you do so that you don't burn out? You know what? I'm constantly struggling with that. That is the downside to owning your own business for sure. Um, Greg is 100% right. And I think I'm trying to find – Hank Green tweeted out – okay, here it is. I found it. Hank Green tweeted this out a while ago, and this resonated with me so much. Um, And they were talking about how burnout is a major problem for YouTubers and Twitch streamers and people who own their own businesses because – You are the business. Um, And so Hank Green said, um, most businesses are scalable. But if all of this is based on us, we can't grow because we can't scale ourselves. Um, you can, and this has been shortened in conversation to you can't scale a person, but as a person, you only have so many hours you can give. You only have so much of yourself that you can give. And in a world that's very competitive, as Greg knows, he's one of the very top competitors in this world. Uh, you know, everyone is constantly giving more and more and more of themselves to try to outdo each other and to try to be on top. And that's something that you deal with in the world of traditional acting 100% as well. You know, you will encounter the people that are constantly in classes, constantly going to casting director workshops, constantly doing mailings to every casting director, doing three stage productions at a time and taking their best reviews and doing mass mailings of them with a little personalized note on each one. Like there's, there's no limit to how much you can be working towards this end goal. And burnout is a very real thing. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's been especially hard since I uh, made a tiny human. almost a year and a half ago because my tiny human requires a lot of me. And so I cannot give as much of me as I used to to my company and my career because now there's another person who relies on part of that time that I have. And uh, yeah, it's a very real thing. And I haven't figured out a solution to it, unfortunately. Um, 
uh, Hank, this is another Hank Green tweet. Uh, he said his keys to avoiding burnout. And I only, only, I bring this up because I go back to this all the time as reminders for myself. Uh, recognize the warning signs. Schedules are not written in stone. Friends and family are more important than YouTube. If you can, spend money on people who can help you and repeat your, to the mirror, or repeat to yourself in the mirror, I can't scale me. And that's all. It's just really, really solid advice. Um, and w so one of the things I did, which I hate even admitting this out loud because I hate saying it to myself, but it's true. And I had to do it for my own sanity. I've really scaled back on my personal YouTube channel. I haven't posted to my own YouTube channel just like for funsies in probably three months. And I used to be excellent about uploading one or two videos every single week. But then I, you know, I had this other little person who's a ton of extra responsibilities. I have a house that sometimes takes tons of extra responsibilities. I mean, two winters ago, yeah, two winters ago, we had all this flooding damage and the roof caved in and I was constantly dealing with contractors and insurance to try to just keep our house from falling apart. Like, and it's, it's life things like that, that I beat myself up because I'm like, oh my God, but I have to get a naked truth out on a Thursday. <laughs> and just a reminder to myself of, you know what? A year from now, if I look back on this week and say, you know what, the Naked Truth didn't get out that week one year ago, that's going to be a much better situation than me saying, you know, I ignored my child or I let my house fall apart or, you know, you just have to continually put into perspective for yourself, where are my priorities and I can only do so much. And even with all that being said, I still usually put in a 50 to 60 hour work week, even yeah. though it's flexible, um, between editing and recording and writing and uh, I now scale my business a lot towards me working for other people's channels as opposed for, to me working for my own personal YouTube channel because I just find the ROI to be greater for that right now for me but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to someday I don't know launch a Patreon and work on my own thing like Greg is doing or like a lot of other creators are doing right now. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's ever evolving and ever changing, but to anyone who is trying to get into that type of content creation, I just urge you to remember that you are not scalable and you can only do so much. And if you're trying to compare yourself to huge companies that have an entire team specifically for their Instagram, specifically for their Twitter, specifically for their YouTube, specifically for their Twitch, and you're just one person trying to do it all by yourself please don't compare yourself to those outlets. The comparison thing is both motivating and really demoralizing. It's yes. the kind of thing where if you're on social media every single day and you're seeing all these people just killing it in the field that you're in, uh, it's really easy to, instead of celebrate that and be like, look at this person doing awesome shit, you start working overly hard to try to match that or find ways to match it. And you got, you got to realize scale where sometimes it's just like that person it's a different scale than what I'm trying to do and whether that's writing or hosting and it's all those things that I sometimes I need to disconnect from social media because you're just like I can't I can't I know how my brain works and if I see someone doing something really great of course I'm happy for them but I also am like all right now I need to go do this because I'm motivated and if you don't have those hours you don't have those hours and the fact that you mentioned before not posting on your personal YouTube channel as much that has to be tough for you because you do understand, you understand how YouTube works, where you need that consistency. You need those videos pretty often to keep up with that audience. <laughs> yeah. You did mention that you've kind of decided like, hey, ROI for something like, I don't know, Newegg or Kingston or something like that. Like it makes more sense for me to work for them. But will there be a point you think where if you get 
big enough, if you get enough recognition, it would actually make more sense ROI-wise to uh, completely go toward your own channel and hope that like if that takes off, that could be something that I don't need these other companies. I can just continue to make money through my own YouTube. Do you feel like that's where you would eventually want to be with your own personal channel as the main focus? That's where I thought I wanted to be a few years ago. So a few years ago, uh, when I first launched my YouTube channel, that was kind of the goal, was to get my own personal brands to be so successful that I didn't need to work for anyone else. Um, And then in the meantime, I was kind of taking freelance work for other people gigs every here and there to supplement um, instead of doing a Patreon or something like that. And I'm uh, I'm not in any way negative towards Patreon or crowdfunding in any way. It's just not the direction that I chose to go. Um... And eventually I just found that for me, doing freelance shows and working with teams, I think that's the biggest thing. When I work with other channels, I work with an entire team of people and I like working with other creatives to create something together as opposed to when it's just my channel, I have to do everything from start to finish myself. And that to me is not as creatively fulfilling. And I think that's because I'm not that talented of of an editor. I'll be perfectly honest. That's not what I studied. That's not where my passion is. The part of the creative process I like is all of the pre-production, the development, the writing, actually creating the content, going out and filming, the actual production itself, Um, and then kind of everything that follows after that, the editing, the captioning, the SEO, the Photoshopping thumbnails, the animated graphics. I have such immense respect for the people who do that that are far more talented than I am. And when I work with the people who are really amazing at that, the content shines so much more so. So when I work with the team at Newegg or the team at Kingston or the team at Geek and Sundry, to me, the final product that comes out of those, I just like so much better and I enjoy the process of creating that content so much more that I found for myself over the years, that's just what I prefer. So my shift went away from I'm going to do this all on my own and create everything start to finish and that's what I love and that's what I want to do full time to, you know what, I really enjoy working with a bunch of different people. And that's also why I like to freelance now as opposed to being in one place full time because this way I get to work with more people and create different types of content instead of getting in a rut where you're turning out the same type of content over and over and over every day. People undervalue how cool it is to work with a team. Because you can do a lot of really great stuff on your own. And like you mentioned, you kind of get on your schedule. You have your own types of content, but you need to vary that. And just in my, this is, while we're recording, this is the end of my second week working um, with Tangent Games out of Sony Santa Monica. And like just being around all these different teams who are working together to get something done is super invigorating. Like it's really a different style of thing after I was working from home so much and I was freelancing so much and you get some interaction with people, but it's really different when you are around or in the same room as a group of people trying to make something cool and everyone brings along that certain aspect that they're super good at. Like, all right, here's the texture guy. Here's the art guy. Here's the creative guy. And like for you, like you mentioned, and I think it's important to admit that stuff where you're like, I'm not the best editor in the world, but I love to work with other editors who not only make my work way better and point out things that I would have never seen, but you also get better as an editor just being around that editor. Yes, you learn so much from other people. Um, There's a whole graphical design team at Newegg that I'm watching put together different thumbnails and banners and stuff right now. And I'm like, oh God, I never would have thought of that. Or I have a gaming editor friend who when I'm doing branded content for my own channel and I have the budget to hire him, I always do because he is 
so amazing. I can give him footage and he makes it five times better yeah. in the edit by adding his own opinion and his own jokes and his own humor through the edit and through commentary in the edit. And it's it just makes it so much better. And like... I have my own home studio, so I'm sitting here talking to you in my own home studio right now. And in my own home studio, I have I have enough equipment to get the job done, I will yeah. say. I have a lighting kit. I have a camera. I have some audio equipment. But is it the top of the line, best of the best? No. It's what, <laughs> it's what I can afford to put into my company right now. Whereas when I go to Newegg Studios or Geek and Sundry Studios, which is owned by Legendary, uh, they have s like tons and tons of equipment and a real sound stage and like all the stuff that I really relocated to Los Angeles to work in and to work with. I have access to that stuff when I'm working on a bigger set with a lot of people. Yeah. And no, so, totally. yeah, so that, that to me is a lot of fun. Now, that being said, does that mean I'm never going to pay attention to my personal brands ever again? Absolutely not. I still keep up with my Twitch very regularly because I really enjoy that. And I feel like I have that pretty plug and play at this point. Um, I still want to upgrade my equipment all the time because I work in the tech industry. So I'm constantly seeing newer, cooler things I want to incorporate. <laughs> uh, but... I feel like that is a place where I'm really interacting with my community and that's a value. Uh, and I always think of new things to do for my YouTube channel, but I honestly don't want to start it until I can get to a place where I can record four or five or six episodes at a time so that I can, thanks to that YouTube algorithm, that if you're not posting all the time, it doesn't show your stuff to anybody, uh, so that I can actually post with some consistency when I start to do that. Right now, realistically, I probably have the bandwidth to put up a YouTube video on my own, maybe once every other week. Yeah. And for that, it's not even worth it. YouTube's not even going to tell my subscribers I posted a video at that rate. So because of that, I'm focusing more of my energy on my own personal time to my Twitch channel. Um, but yeah, I have ideas for new series on YouTube. And like I said, when I can film a whole bunch at a time and put them out in maybe like a 10-episode miniseries kind of format, that that's something that's a lot more doable that might actually make sense. Well, you gave me a perfect transition because when we were trying to set up this podcast, you mentioned certain days you were booked for Twitch streaming. And I yeah. feel like holding to a schedule is so damn important when you're building and maintaining an audience. I mean, again, just for podcasting, if you if you post once on a Monday, then two weeks later on a Wednesday, and then three weeks later on a Thursday, people are going to be confused. Like, when am I actually getting this thing? So right. how do you know the right number of days and the right number of hours and the right times to go live? How do you build out your schedule so that you can actually start building a consistent audience? For me, because I have so much on my plate right now with all the different things that I'm working and all the balls that are in the air. And I, a tiny human. And a tiny human. He's like the biggest ball that's in the air, we'll be perfectly <laughs> honest. Um, but I have to, I, I only have certain windows that I could even stream. So I look at what I have available and pick the thing that I think I can most reliably deliver on and go with that. And I have to say my Twitch community is the coolest. They are <laughs> the nicest, most understanding. Like when Tiny Human was originally born, his name's Logan, uh, when Logan was originally born and would need to breastfeed every two hours, you yeah. know, how do you do that with a three or four hour stream? Well, you put up a BRB screen that says <laughs> BRB feeding my dragon and your community <laughs> understands what that means and will hang out and chat until you're done because they're awesome. That's at least what happened to me. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you just you have to find what works for you. So for me, 
most of the time, Sunday mornings is the best time that I can stream because I have that morning off. I know that my husband can watch the baby and that's the time that I can really relax in doing it. I'm not coming home from a full day of shooting where I'm already creatively spent. Um, I'm awake in the morning. <laughs> uh, right now I sadly fall asleep sometimes around like 9 p.m. because I'm up all night with the baby. Uh, no judgment. So, that sounds wonderful. Right? <laughs> like going to bed at 9 sounds great right now. Well, it sounds great until you're like, I'm going to get all this stuff done and I'm going to start, I'm going to do a night stream Wednesday nights. And then you go to like fire up everything at 7 p.m. on a Wednesday. And you're like, God, I'm just so tired. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, you make it happen when you can. And right now I'm starting to incorporate Wednesday afternoons back into my streaming schedule. And I'm actually building out, I'm really excited about it, I'm building out a brand new Twitch show oh, man. that I had the best idea for that no one's done yet on Twitch and I'm having my super awesome gaming editor friend that I mentioned earlier build me a custom Twitch overlay just for this show and I don't know what day it's going to happen yet like what day of the week and what time but uh, I'm, I'm just excited to start something new that's creatively mine on the Twitch platform and I know Twitch if you're a Twitch partner you have exclusivity to the Twitch platform for 24 hours before you can post it anywhere else but maybe after that i'll post that to my youtube channel as well i don't know we'll see you should just reveal what it is right here no way exclusive on this podcast no way oh so close that's that's my (laughs) that's my journalism degree at work right there Uh, do you think your experience in theater and likely doing improv gives you an advantage on twitch not just for hey here's a random funny thing i say while i'm playing a game but you just mentioned building out a show do you get to more easily do these specific shows and play around with new ideas because you have the safety net of your acting chops i don't know that's a good question um i've always kind of felt that twitch streaming and live interaction came more naturally to me and maybe that's because i had done a lot of improv and a lot of live theater training um it it just i feel like i shine more when interacting with a live audience yeah. Which is funny because I came out here to audition for TV and film where you don't get that at all. Um, <laughs> but Twitch is kind of my, my feeds that urge for me now. And maybe that's why I'm enjoying it so much. Uh, do you ever feel pressure to play all the newest and most popular games on your channel? Or are you, to, are you at a point with your audience where you're confident enough that people will follow what you do even if you started playing like Dark Cloud on the PlayStation 2 out of nowhere? Because I, when I was just doing streaming casually while I was reviewing games for Games by IGN, there's always like the, oh, hey, that 10 times as many people will watch this if it's a brand new game or a just about to be released game. But deep down, I'm like, man, I just want to play the Super Mario World. So do you kind of get to play whatever you want at this point? Uh, because I focus on, because I focus on my jobs for other people as my main source of income, for me, Twitch is not my main source of income. It's just for fun and it's creatively fulfilling. So even though I know I'd get way more viewers, like you said, if I was, you know, streaming PUBG or Fortnite or whatever the newest game to come out that week is, I don't do that. I stream whatever I am playing at the moment or whatever I'm really into. And I feel like my audience has learned that they can come to my stream to find games that might not be on their radar. Yeah. So um, like right now I'm playing through Pillars of Eternity 2 and I'm playing through the multiple endings of Nier Automata. Oh, um, wow. Because that's what I am currently interested in playing. And I don't get a ton of time for video games outside of my streams. And I want to play what I want to play. Um, so I know that, yeah, I know if I was playing something that was about to launch that I had an early review copy of or, like I said, Fortnite or PUBG, that I'd get a lot more viewers. But that's not as important to me right now. And in fact, the new show that I'm building 
uh, is based completely all around games no one's ever heard of. So, <laughs> oh man, See, I think that's actually a great idea because it, of course, like you said, PUBG and Fortnite are up there, but there's so many people doing that. I think it's to a certain point where you're like, wait. I already have my regular Fortnite streamers or my regular PUBG streamers. I'm trying to go to this other person to see completely different things. Like that's where I would want to be. Hey, play this PS2 game I didn't know about or play this PlayStation 1 game that might have defined this section of your life. But, you know, everyone who's watching you has no idea what the hell this thing is. Right. No, I mean, the hard part about that is discoverability. So yeah. on Twitch, there's not really a way to say, hey, show me people that are playing games I've never heard of. You know, you can you can browse <laughs> by game. section. Yeah, exactly. You can browse by game. And that's how people stumble onto the popular game streamers. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess I just have to rely on my community sharing with their friends. I don't know, which again, is not the smartest move from a business standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> but it's creatively fulfilling. So I stick with it for now. I feel like that's important. That, that's the most important part of it. It's not your main income as long as it's creatively fulfilling. Exactly. What's some of the best advice you've been given from other successful streamers? Because whenever whenever I started to get more serious with just doing a podcast, I would always go to the people who have kind of built something from the ground up and found success because you can assume a lot going in, but then you realize like, oh, I was entirely wrong about this. And for me with podcasting, it's always... Uh, I think the exercise I always do is like, okay, if I find my show randomly and I take myself out of it, like, would I listen to it if I just right. randomly found this? Like, what about it is unique enough that I would want to listen to it? And that's really important with a lot of what you do creatively is taking yourself out of it, pretending you're just a random user and figure out like, is this worth watching or listening to? So what's some of the advice you had gotten from people who are good at streaming that are like, you need to do this, this, and this? Um, the biggest advice I got in streaming was constantly interact with your audience. Yeah. I mean, that's why people watch live streams as opposed to pre-recorded content. I mean, almost inevitably in a live stream, the production quality is not going to be as on point as it is with pre-recorded edited content. So what are people there for? Um, you know, they're a lot more willing to forgive technical mistakes when you're like doing it live. Um, <laughs> but they're there for that interaction. So it's not enough for most streamers, or at least I found for me, and this is the advice I got from other people, it's not enough to just play the game and like go into kind of your zoned out super game face mentality that a lot of us have, <laughs> you know, where you're just playing games by yourself on the couch for a few hours and you're just super zoned in making the craziest like just zoned out face because yeah. um, that's what we do. When you're streaming, you have to remember that you're there with other people. So... I like to think of it as back in the days of couch co-op, when you have friends over and you're playing a game, you don't just sit there in silence. You're constantly talking to your friends on the couch about what's happening in the game and, you know, you're having a conversation with them. So that's the beauty of streaming for me. And that's kind of what I picked up from other people very quickly was you need to play the game, but you also need to remember that there's other people in the room. You do shout outs or do people just randomly come in and be like, please say my name on your stream? Uh, sometimes, but I have a bunch of stuff set up for people in my stream that there's alerts that go up when people follow or subscribe or cheer or donate or all sorts of different things. And then I also have loyalty points set up in my stream. So for every minute that someone watches my stream, they get a dragon scale. And Ooh. once they've connected 
once they've collected enough dragon scales, they can redeem those for rewards. So the dragon scales thing is all for free. It's just my way of thanking my community for spending time there and hanging out with me. So they can, um, I forget what I call it now. It is some, there is some kind of shout out reward where they can redeem so many dragon scales to have their comment read aloud on the stream. Um, or they can, you know, request a song or I actually started because I have so many of them, old, embarrassing black and white headshots of Trisha. Oh man. They can get signed old, embarrassing headshots mailed to them. They can get, uh, my husband said I need to get rid of some of my collectibles because I, I have so many nerdy collectibles and no place to put them. So my favorite of them we have displayed on a display cabinet in the living room, but I have like probably 20 display cabinets worth of stuff. So oh, now God. one of my rewards, if you have enough dragon scales, is a nerdy goodie from Trisha's personal collection. So that way I know it's going to a good home. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different stuff on there that's just different ways for people to interact. And I feel like that's something that's really fun when it comes to live content. Now, whether you're streaming on Twitch, Mixer, YouTube Gaming, whatever it is, Facebook now is trying to get in the streaming thing. Having different ways to interact with your community makes it really unique. And I really like that through things like Streamlabs and OBS and XSplit, you can really tailor your stream to exactly what you want it to be. So you can make cool rewards like that for people and have them be able to choose the songs on your playlist that are going to play during your stream or whatever. It's really fun. Yeah, and it's really cool as someone who watches that stuff to feel like you're a part of a community. Yeah. Like you're a part of something that values you and you can actually make friends with other people who are watching that same content. It's cool how you, there's so many just little pockets of communities all over the place who are really cool with each other. And you can set up Discord and how they can all talk to each other. So yeah, I'm super late to that party. I'm just setting up a Discord now because some of my mods <laughs> were like, hey, Trish, we need a Discord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you start to like actually get to know the other people who are watching and you want to communicate outside of that chat or like set up game nights or something like that. Like totally. before you needed websites and forums and then people would associate that. But now you can just do Twitch channels and Discord and essentially you have everything you need if it's not in one central website hub. Right. Uh, last thing. So once your little human gets a little bit older and you're able to, you know, maybe spend more time on all your different creative projects, do you have a dream project in mind that you still want to work on? I'm guessing it's maybe not acting in a movie or TV anymore because you're into Twitch, you're into YouTube, you're in all these other different hosting things. Is there something you've always wanted to do that you feel is achievable in like the next five years that you want to put a lot into? You know what? This is going to sound so silly. Um, but ever since I was young, my goal in life, in performing and whatever, was just to have a job that didn't suck. <laughs> I wanted to, I saw Tom Hanks in the movie Big where he got that job where he just got to play test toys. And I was like, dude, that is a cool job. And I saw my parents just be frustrated with their 40 hour a week, go to work, don't like my job, live for the weekend. And I was like, I don't want that. If I'm going to spend 40 hours a week or whatever it is, doing something is my career. I want to enjoy it. So at a young age, I decided that acting or performing was going to be my fun job that I did. And since then I found YouTube and Twitch and other ways to entertain and sometimes literally get paid to play video games or tabletop games or talk about Star Wars or Deadpool or whatever it may be. And I love that. So yeah. there is not one specific dream project. I just want to continue getting paid to have fun for as long as I possibly can. Now, does that mean that there aren't parts of this job that are not fun? There are certainly parts of this job that are not fun. 
that you have to go through the business aspects for me, some of the post-production stuff, the SEO, whatever. But there's so much of it that is rewarding that I still feel like I am living my dream that I set out to do every single day. So I hope within the next five years that I can keep up that hustle (laughs) and keep doing it. Yeah, no matter how like jaded all of us can be or like complaining we get on Twitter, there is this moment where you need to take a step back and be like, just like what you mentioned, like, goddamn, I'm getting paid to play video games or talk about the thing that I would just be talking about either to myself or with my friends otherwise. And there's going to be all the bullshit in between that makes it not perfect. But there is no world where everything you do every moment for money is going to be perfect. I think once you you find something that it feels like you're investing in yourself and you're investing in what you want to do, that's when that's kind of when the flip the, the switch flips, especially like when I just moved out here and realizing like it's going to be hard at the start, but everything I do is moving toward what I've always wanted to do. So like, and I'm assuming the same way for you where everything you're doing now is all about what you've always wanted to do. So you go through the bullshit, but you realize like, this is, this is pretty rad. Yeah. Uh, what are you working on right now that you can talk about and where can people find you on Twitch and social media? Oh my goodness. Okay, let's see. Um, So uh, I am working on a new YouTube channel, funny enough. (laughs) So Um, close to revealing this. uh, No, I'm working on a new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash nerdswithkids. And it's myself and Lasercorn from Smosh Games and Ivan Van Norman from Geek and Sundry. And we just essentially decided since we all have tiny humans and the (laughs) world of what we do for a living and the world of tiny humans seem so opposite from each other, they don't need to be. So why don't we get together once a week and do fun, nerdy stuff with our kids and film it? And sometimes we'll get an episode out of it and sometimes we won't. But all of those episodes live on youtube.com slash nerdswithkids. We've been doing it for a few months now and it's pure insanity, but it's very fun. So I've been working on that. We post one video a week to that. Um, And then my YouTube and Twitch channels are both slash Trisha Hirschberger, just all one word, all lowercase, um, spelled just like it sounds, Hirschberger. Um, And then on the rest of social media, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and Facebook, it's at that girl Trish with no I in the girl, just that GRL Trish. And that's actually my gamer tag for almost every different, uh, for almost every different gaming platform as well if you want to find me and add me as a friend i add everybody i uh <laughs> i have a million <laughs> a million steam and microsoft account friends xbox friends um so yeah you can find me there and the shows that i currently do for other outlets i do a, sh- a tech show for kingston technology called diy in five that uh, post every other Friday. And that is taking tech concepts that might seem a little bit complex and making them easy to understand for the everyday user. And sometimes those are phone tips, sometimes they're camera tips, sometimes they're what the hell is NVMe. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's a very nice, you know, I just, I, I need to get a little bit more tech savvy. Here's a great entry point. Um, then I do a show for Newegg every Thursday morning. It's a live show to Facebook, YouTube, and Newegg.com every Thursday morning at 10 a.m. called Newegg Now. And that show is really funny because it's kind of a infotainment where you can learn about new tech, but also it's Newegg's show and Newegg has great deals on whatever we're talking about for the show. Like the whole point of the show is that whatever we talk about on the show, we will have an awesome deal on. And by awesome deal, I mean like 
40 plus percent off so yeah. really good stuff if you're into building your own pc uh or really anything we've covered like smart home tech we've covered displays consoles all sorts of stuff um but lots and lots of pc components where we'll talk about it what makes it special maybe interview someone from the brand play around with it in a real world scenario and then be like oh and ps you can get it today for like 60 percent off on this link um so that's a really fun show and then i also do a show with geek and sundry every tuesday at 4 p.m on twitch on twitch.tv slash geek and sundry called game engine which is the video game show on geek and sundry most of their shows are tabletop shows or skewed to other pop culture but that is their home for video games on geek and sundry and yeah that's that's every tuesday at 4 p.m so i'm doing all that stuff and uh, and keeping busy your Google Calendar has to look insane. It's insane. Like just so many things stacked on one another for different people where you're like, I am spinning so many goddamn plates. Yeah, it's so exciting though. Like I wouldn't have it any other way. I love it so much. I um, After I had my tiny human, I was like, you know, like maybe once he's here, I'll just want to stay home and not work 80 hours a week anymore. And I found that that couldn't have been further from the truth. Like I, I just had this extra little awesome person in my life and I, that motivated me more to work if that makes any sense no, um, totally but yeah i feel like when you're a workaholic you're a workaholic and when you love what you do being a workaholic doesn't it seems like you're a playaholic slash workaholic <laughs> you know you write you write about video games you know what i mean yeah i know exactly what you mean <laughs> uh and it, my favorite shows to do on here are the ones where you can noticeably tell someone just loves the shit they're doing so uh trisha thanks so much for doing this today it's obvious that you're just like in a really good spot where you are working for yourself and you're working toward everything you want to do. And I'm happy you can be on episode 150. I'm happy Lisa introduced us. Yes, like, Lisa's it was, amazing. Uh, I really like, I knew about you, but not in a, not as much as I learned after I went through your LinkedIn, where I'm like, oh, there's all this rad shit you've done. So I, I had a really great time talking today. And hopefully uh, in the future, once more of these projects are happening and once your your tiny human was able to to you know like sustain himself a little bit more we can do another podcast and talk about all the other cool stuff you're doing i would love that thank you so much for having me on the show this has been such a blast and i love what you're doing i uh i went through some of your other episodes and some of the people you get on the show are a plus 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 i love it <laughs> thank you i have been super fortunate that people have said yes like you'd be amazed how many people just say yes if you ask them like that's that's the real secret to podcasting that no one knows about not to give away all my trade secrets but uh thanks everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099